Um, how many of you guys would consider yourselves um, New, Year, New Year's resolution people? Anybody? Oh, wow, wow, nobody. So none of you hit the first of the year and were thinking, man, I got some changes I got to make. Nobody was thinking that, right? And nothing, nothing to change about like your diet or your health or your finances, your relation, nothing. You guys are doing good? All right, well, let's go home, right? There's nothing, nothing to say. The, the reason I'm bringing this up is because we're, we're hitting the time of the, um, that season. We're actually hitting, we're getting into the thick of what I'd call um, resolution dropout season, right? Because it's right in the next, it ends up that in the next like couple of months that uh, over half of the people that made resolutions back at the first of the year, they'll be bailing on them somewhere in these next couple of months, right? So we're getting into, and what's funny is that that, that timing, it hits right in the middle of this season that we call Lent, which was, was this other season that in the church year where people are taking up all this other stuff that they're trying to change in their lives too. So we're like constantly like just flipping stuff over and saying, well, okay, it didn't work at New Year's. Maybe it'll work now at Lent. <clears throat> and, and the problem is, is that, you know, it's just, um, it's just hard, you know. I mean, it, it ends up that, that most people, we have about two or three months of just sheer willpower that can get us into anything. Have you guys found that to be true? You say, I want to change, and you get two to three months into something that you say, I'm going to change this. I mean, there's about 6% of the population that they're, and they make us all sick because they're like, yeah, I'm still going. You know, I've been going 10 years with this thing, right? And we're going, oh gosh, just be quiet, go sit in the corner, right? Because most of us, over half of us, we have, we have, it's a little bit more of a challenge than that to stick with something that we have said, even something that we want to change, something that we desire to change, that we know needs to be changed in our lives. So the first message that I have, and this is before the sermon, this is like a freebie. You know, this is the, this is the first thing I want us to hear is, you guys, we need to be a little bit less hard on ourselves. We really do. We need to be less hard on ourselves when we have trouble making the changes that we want to make in our lives because all of us have that trouble except 6%, but we're not going to talk about them, right? <laughs> all of us have that trouble. We all find it challenging. Change is hard. Change is hard to do in our lives, even those things that we know that we want to do, even those things that we know God wants us to do. So we need to, um, we need to kind of loosen up a little bit. Keep at it, but give yourself a break. You know, if you fail, just go back to it. We're, we're starting a series today on change. We're calling it breaking the mold because, because God regularly is trying to break those molds that are in us, those things that mold our, our thoughts, those things that mold our lifestyle. He's trying to break things that keep us from being the people that he created us to be and that keep us from the life that he created for us to have. He's trying to break those things so he can rebuild us into those people that he has made us and called us and intended us to be. And that involves change. And so God wants to change us. He wants to change those things that, that keep us from getting in the way. But he, he also, he wants us to be realistic about what that change entails. Because if not, we're just gonna get overwhelmed and we're gonna get frustrated because of our inability to make those changes quick enough for ourselves, right? And we're gonna just give up. And he doesn't, he doesn't ask us to, to do it on our own and he doesn't ask us to do it in our own timing, he just asks us to stay with it, to stay with him in it because he's in it with us. Amen? 
Amen. So, so, so today we're going to start the series. We're going to be looking at the, the life of Abraham. Um, Abraham, uh, in the New Testament, he's called the father, basically the father of our faith. He's the one that's kind of like this, this model of what developing our faith looks like. And so we want to go back to his life and we want to say, well, how did he do? Right? Was he one of these 6%? Right? That, no, it ends up he wasn't. He was a lot like most of us. He had trouble too. He struggled with it. We're going to find that he, that he really had some challenges, but he stuck, he stuck with it. He stuck with it. He, he stayed with the God who stayed with him and became the man who God intended for him to be. He was called, in Scripture, he was called the friend of God. Wouldn't that be great? You know, to, have, to feel like you're standing there with God and God says, yeah, this is one of my this is one of my friends, right? I think that's kind of what we all have in our minds. Let's, let's stand together. We're gonna to start and look at the beginning of the story of Abraham. It starts in Genesis chapter 12. We're gonna be reading verse one through five. It says, now the Lord said to Abraham, and I mean, that, that's, that's amazing, right? Here's Abraham. The Lord, is, he, he comes down, he speaks to Abraham. Again, he's leading. The Lord said to Abraham, go forth from your country, from your relatives and from your father's house to that land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abraham went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. And Lot went with him. Now, Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. He took Sarai, his wife, Lot, his nephew, all their possessions which they had accumulated and the persons which they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan. And thus they came to the land of Canaan. You know, when God calls us to make a change in our lives, to become a different type of person or to do something different, um, sometimes he clearly calls us like he did with Abraham, right? This voice out of heaven that says, go here, do that. But no matter how he calls us, whenever this happens, we tend to go into this project mode. Have you guys found that to be true? God tells you to do something. You sense that he wants you to do something. And you go, okay, now I got to figure out, got to answer the questions. How am I going to get this done? How am I going to get it done? How am I going to pull together the resources that I have at my fingertips available to me? How can I pull down everything so that everything that will lean into my favor to help get this change done, this thing done that God wants me to do. And the problem that we have is sometimes that very process of our thinking is what God's trying to get rid of, right? <laughs> that me coming up with my best idea is the thing he's trying to break. That me pulling together my best team is the thing that he's trying to teach us not to do. He's trying to teach us how to rely on him, how to change, and to remember that, you know, sometimes what we call, what we call an asset, it might actually, God might see it as, as an obstacle, right? What we see as our best team assembled for our victory, God may know to be a very splintered group with these wildly differing agendas, so he calls us to listen to him. He calls us, we have to be careful when God calls us to change to make sure that our best plans aren't the very thing that are getting in his way. Amen? 
Today's message is titled, Stacking the Deck. Father, this morning, we're here because a lot of times we think that we, we came up with this idea. But you keep telling us that we're here because you called us here. For some of us, you called us a long time ago. We heard that call. We heard that call when we met you, when we met your son, Jesus, when we came into this relationship with you, and and that call has been on us, and it keeps drawing us back again and again and again to you, again and again to that place where we know that life can be found, again and again to the spirit who we know has the power to change us, to be more and more like Jesus, less and less like that broken thing we were. So, Father, we're here again. We ask you to give us the eyes that are open to see, the ears that are open to hear, a heart that is open to understand, so that seeing with our eyes, hearing with our ears, and understanding with our hearts, we might again turn to you and find that salvation and healing that we long for, that recreation, that restoration. So, Lord, meet us here. Meet us here with your spirit. Meet us here with your word for your glory in the name of your son by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. If you ever participated, and most of us did, I mean, you just, you can't get through um, really your younger years and maybe even longer, but if you ever participated in team sports, I mean, even informally, just kind of pick up games or whatever, I know that most of you have probably um, encountered that age-old ritual of choosing teams, right? You've been involved in that where everybody kind of gets together, and out of that, out of that gang of people, you choose two people that are going to be the, the two captains, and then they get up there, and everybody else kind of huddles together in this, this expectation and hope that, one, you're going to be choos- chosen early, right? Because if you're chosen early, that shows the worth and the value that you have in this moment, And then the second thing, you're hoping that you'll be chosen by that team that you see starting to develop that you know is going to win it, right? So you're you're, you're just hoping for these two things, and and in the midst of that, you know, here are these captains, and they're showing their their worthiness of uh, of that designation by assembling the best team possible, right? The team that can actually take this, this victory. And and the truth is, is that as we, as we go on from, you know, just sports or whatever, we, we tend to do the same thing over and over again in our lives. We take the same kind of concept. When you go to work, you try and assemble the best team possible. If you own a company, you try and assemble the best team possible to, to just do well, to, to win, whatever that win might mean. It, when, you, when you develop friendships, you're looking out and you're saying, what friends can I gather that will help me be successful in this life that I have ahead of me? What, what friends will be encouraging to me and propel me forward? When you even sometimes when you choose that person that you're going to marry, that you're going to spend the rest of your life with, you, many people look and they say, how can basically, how can I stack this deck that I have, right? So that I win this game, that I, that I can face the challenges that I know I'm going to face, that I can, that I can accomplish those goals that I have set out for myself. And we find that Abraham's doing the same thing. Abraham's doing the same thing when he hits, when he just starts off. You know, it's pretty amazing the way that the story starts out because God literally, he speaks to him. 
And he, he calls out to Abram. He says, Abram, I want you to do this thing. I want you to go to this place to do it. And as a result, you're going to become this type of person, right? This process, you're going to end up, you're going to be this world changer. You're going to be this person that blesses all the families of the earth, not just your localized family. I mean, throughout the world and throughout time, you're going to be a blessing. That's what you're going to be, be, become. And a lot of times in our lives, don't we wish that God would say something that clear to us, right? We're like, God, if you just tell me what is it you want me to do, where is it you want me to go to do it, and what am I going to become as a result of going through this process? But what we find in Abram's life, if you read the rest of the story, is that it doesn't matter. God was that clear with him right at the beginning, right? And he still goes through the same process that most of us go through. It's still hard to make the changes that he has to make. He's still fighting with himself because of the things. And, and so we find that, you know what, even when God is clear, even when he's crystal clear about what's going on in our life, about where he wants us to go, how he wants us to get there, by the time we get there, when you look back, you realize, you know what, even when God was being crystal clear with me, I had no idea what he was talking because we don't do that well when we try and predict and see the future, do we? We don't see things that clearly. God is clear about the end of the journey, but not us, right? We're, we tend to be confused. We tend to be cluttered. It, our, our, our vision is usually cluttered. It's cluttered with things like, you know, just misinformation, just misexpectation. Sometimes we have like this this overdeveloped optimism about you know, what we're capable of and, and what we can accomplish kind of on our own. Or, or maybe we just have, we just have this, these self-centered kind of purposes. We say, well, that'll be great because then I'll get this out of it. Or sometimes, and tell me if this isn't true, sometimes the thing that really clutters it is we're just afraid. We're just fearful. We have so many things that we're fearful of and the unknown is not the smallest of which we face, Right? And God knows that all of these things, all of these things need to be broken in us and need to be replaced with a new type of character and a new set of molds and habits and thoughts that come out if we're ever going to attain the life that he has called us to and he has made us for. So he knows that he has to, this fear has to go. The optimism that's just unrealistic has to go. The selfishness has to go. So we see Abram start out, right? And, and he does great, right? God says, go here. And it says, the Lord said, go forth. And he goes forth. In fact, verse four says, it says that he went just as God had spoken to him. So he moves forward and it's great. He's 75 years old when he leaves. Did you guys note that part? I mean, most of us, we hit 75, we say, I think my life is about winding down now, right? I think I'll just kind of kick my feet up and take a rest because I've been working hard. <coughs> Abram, he gets to 75 and he says, you know what? I think God's plan is finally starting to kick in for me. I think we're just getting started. 75. I mean, you guys, that's faith. If you want to talk about what it takes to live a life of faith, man, that's faith. We have so many reasons we tell God we can't go on the journey with him, right? Age might be one of them. No, I can't start this journey. I'm too old right now. He's 75. 
right? Some of us, we say, I can't, I can't start this journey because I'm in the wrong stage of my life. I'm in the wrong season of my life. I'm just starting up my business. I'm just starting up my family. I'm just getting into college. I'm just getting out of college. I'm just getting done with my business. I'm just retiring. All my kids are here. All my kids are gone. doesn't matter. There's something wrong. I just can't take this, this walk with God yet. You know, if you read about in the story just prior to this, you find out that Abram's father, Terah, he's still alive when Abram leaves. In fact, he's over 100 years old. He's got about 60 more years to go. But if you think about if you had a 100-year-old father, 100-plus-year-old father, and he has 60 more years to go, don't you think that might be the time that you might want to hang around as the oldest son to help out around the house as opposed to leaving town? But Abram goes. Why does he go? Because God had clearly said to him, it's time to go, and I need you to go here, and I need you to do this. And so Abram had been raised in a family of faith. I mean, his is the line, 10th generation down from Noah. I'm sure some of this had been passed down generation to generation. He said, Dad, God said, it's time to go. I'm sure his dad said, you know what, then it's time to go. Right? But he had all kinds of reasons. He could have stayed, all kinds of excuses. But then we get to this line in verse 4, at the end of verse 4, it says, and Lot went with him. <laughs> now, Lot is Abram's nephew. It's the, it's, the young, it's the son of his younger brother, of Abram's younger brother, who had died earlier. And so as the older brother, he had probably, I mean, he had taken kind of, uh, to a large part, he'd taken responsibility for the household, including his younger brother's son. So that makes kind of sense. But later on in verse 5, it says it even clearer. It says, not just did Lot go with him, but Abram took Lot with him. Now he had taken Sarai, right, who is his wife, and he had taken all the possessions and all the people that had become kind of attached to his household. So he took their, his household, but, but Lot went with him, and Lot really wasn't a part of that household per se any more than his father or his other younger brother were. And God had said, go from your country, go from your relatives, and go forth from your father's house. He had done all that except Lot. Okay. And we're going to find out. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up is because now Abraham had a lot of good reasons to bring Lot, didn't he? Like I said, there was a cultural reason he was responsible for, but Lot had family. He had stayed with him. Well, he also, he took Lot. Lot was still a young man, especially Abram. He's 75, so there's a lot of young, younger men, right? So uh, Abram's 75, Lot's maybe, maybe his 50s. But Lot represents also this generation that Abram didn't have in his own household right now because Abram and Sarai didn't have any of their own kids. And so maybe it was that he took a lot along because he represented, you know, what if something happens to me as Abraham, who can, who can maybe take up the head of this household, who can, well, wouldn't it make sense that my brother's son, even though it can't be my son, maybe my brother's son, he can go. He's been raised in the same, he has the same kind of values. He's come up in the same family line down from Noah. There's a lot of good reasons that Abram would have seen him as this is someone I want to be part of my team. Right? This is part of how I stack the deck. This way we get Lot, his youth, his, his, you know, he's still his strength, all of that. But the way the story plays out, you begin to wonder, don't you? 
Every time you turn around, Lot is stirring something up, doing something that Abraham has to come and rescue him from or get him out of a bind. He has to, he has to kind of resolve the issues that are stirred up. Lot, Lot is the one who chooses to live in the valley of Sodom, close to the town, and then later in the town. He's taken, he's taken captive when that whole valley, you know, the two towns of that valley are, are taken you know, by these other kings. He's taken captive, and Abram has to go out and rescue him along with these other two towns worth of people. And then Lot barely escapes when God finally just says, yeah, these, this is too messed up. I, gotta, I have to wipe out. He just wipes out the whole valley. When he does that, Lot barely escapes. Why? Because Abram has been pleading with God and bartering with God and saying, God, what if there's just, because Abram knows Lot's down there. And he says, God, will you wipe out this place? If there's, what if there's 50 righteous people? Would you do it? I says, no, I wouldn't do it if there were 50. He says, what about, well, you know, 40? What about 30? What about 10? Gets down to 10 because he figures at least Lot and his family. God says, I wouldn't do it if there were 10. And the fact is, he wouldn't do it if there were four. Because he ends up pulling out Lot, his wife, and his two daughters, but four that finally leave that place. And even his wife on his way out, she looks back longingly at the place that they left. She turns into a pillar of salt. So there's just Lot and his two daughters. These two daughters, though, they end up having these two sons in really sketchy kind of conditions and circumstances. These two sons grow up and they become two nations that pester Israel, who are Abram's kind of promised line. They're his other descendants. They pester them for the rest of their history. So you begin to wonder, man, was Lot supposed to be on this trip at all? Now, you guys, I don't know if you guys read the Bible that way and ask those kind of questions, but I do. Because I know what we tend to do. We tend to say, I think this person brings strength to my team. I think this person helps me stack the deck for success. I think they need to be on my team. But we don't always ask God, God, is this somebody that you have called to be part of this calling? Because the real test is this. In this story, it says, God called Abraham and he said yes. And he brought his whole household. That makes sense. But Lot went with him. Lot just was on an adventure with his uncle. He wasn't walking into necessarily a calling that God had on his life. Sometimes when we try and get strong people, strong resources to our team to help us succeed, we don't realize that we're actually pulling them out of something God might be calling them to because we want them to help us not be so fearful that we're going to fail at the thing God has called us to, right? Why do we do it? We don't do it because we're mean, because we want them to fail, because we're bad. We don't, we, that's not why we do it. We do it because we're terrified. Sometimes it's because we're just fearful. We look into that vast unknown of what God has called us to, who he has called us to be. How many of you guys, guys look at and you say, God has called you to be like Jesus? And you go, man, does he know who he's talking about, right? Does God know what he's really? I don't think he'd say that about me. If he, no. 
or we look ahead and we say, God wants you to do this thing in your life, and you go, I can't even imagine how I could be the person that would get that thing done. I can't even see, I, I can't see even being close to that. And we're terrified by it. And so as a result, we gather, we surround ourselves with as many strong kind of people and resources as we can that will help God get this thing done in us, help us not to fail. But you guys, when we do that, when we look at fear, we tend to lose sight of promises that God has given us. We tend to lose sight of this God who has called us into this thing. Because he's the God, he says, you know what? He's not going to call us where he's not going to keep us, right? He's not going to bring us into a place where he's not going to be our protector, our strength. He is not going to lead us into that for which he has not equipped us. Do you know that? We don't have to fear because he's not going to bring us somewhere and ask us to do something that he's not going to prepare us for. He is, the path that he puts us on is a path that he knows. It's a path that he's probably walked. And it's the path he's going to walk with us. Because he says he will not leave us. We abandon him all the time. And then he comes and he comes and he searches for us to bring us back because he doesn't abandon us. And I want you to hear this one. The challenges that we will encounter are the challenges that he saw coming. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. So he asks us, don't be looking at fear. Be looking at me. Don't try and stack the deck for your success. I am your stacked deck. Amen? God is with you. He is your stacked deck. Now, there's another thing that sometimes we do. It doesn't come out in this story as much. But we see it all the time. Sometimes we don't necessarily act in fear per se. Sometimes we act with pride. God calls us and he says, I want you to do this thing. And you say, great, finally, finally, Somebody has recognized my talent, right? Somebody has recognized my ability, that I'm ready, and we go rushing off ahead of God out of pride. And pride tends to do the opposite of what fear does. Fear collects all kinds of buffer to help myself look bigger and be stronger and all that. Pride, pride tends to be this thing that says, oh, I don't need those people that you say I need. I don't need those resources that you're trying to give me. I can do this on my own. Um, often, you know, if we don't respond in fear, we respond in pride. Now, we just got through a series, we just got done with a series on the church. Talk about the ecclesia, this community of people that God surrounds us with to help us accomplish those things that he's called us to do and to become the people he's called us. And in pride, often we say, well, I don't need the church. Just me and God, me and Jesus, we're like this, right? We're gonna go take the world, just us two. He says, yeah, but I, I... created the church so that you'd be a part of it. No, I don't need that. I don't need the resources. I don't need people speaking into my life. I know what I need to know. I don't need to hear from them. I don't need their insights. I don't need, I don't need that. Now, pride often 
it was funny about it is that it's offering, offered often just a, a thin covering for, for fear because in, in pride, all that we're saying, we're not saying, I, I'm fearful, I'm gonna fail, so I'm gonna surround myself with people so I don't fail. We're, we're instead saying, I, I really am fearful, I'm gonna fail, I don't want anybody around me to see me fail. Because in spite of all the boasting words, we, we really have this thing inside of us that we're worried, and that can be an obstacle to what God wants to work through us and in us as well. So we say, okay, so what is it that God is trying to do? If he's not, <clears throat> what is he trying to get rid of pride and rid of, rid of this, this fear? Why is he trying to do that? What is he trying to build in us? He is trying to create us, recreate us, remold us, retrain us to think along the lines of faith. And we use that word in a very number of ways. We say you gotta have faith in yourself, faith in your team, faith in, you know, faith in whatever. Never in the Bible, it's not talking about that. You know, in the Bible, regularly faith, most often. Occasionally you'll say, it'll use that same word to mean trusting someone. But, but faith, when it's used in the Bible, is talking about one faith. It's talking about trusting God. It's talking about trusting that, that he really does have your back. It's, it's learning to think along the lines of faith that say, you know what, he has made a promise and that promise is true because he's God. He doesn't fail on that. I'll lean on that. I'll lean on that instead of my own ability to stack my own deck. I'll lean on that instead of my own ability to pull this thing off myself. I'll lean on that. I'll lean on, on him. I'll trust him. I'll walk this walk of faith, because God is constantly trying to teach us to live and to walk this walk of faith. Faith in him, faith in him alone. Faith to hear him when he speaks, faith to walk the path that he shows us to go where he leads, faith to trust him for the team that we either need or don't need, for the resource that we either need or don't need. No more, no less than what he brings and what he gives, faith. He's the one who called. He's the one who laid out the path. He's the one who is training us. Do you guys realize, <coughs> excuse me, that God, he's not as concerned about you having successful projects in your life. Projects are easy for him. He can, he can turn things on a dime. He can make things happen anytime he wants to. He is concerned about making you the type of person that you were meant to be. He's more concerned about the process that goes on in your life than the projects that you keep hitting. Do you realize that? He wants to make us like Jesus. He wants to make us that glorious being that he intended before he even started creation. That people will look at and say, oh, that's a, that's a child of God. That's a, that's a person who knows Jesus. That's what he's looking for. You know, Psalm 131, life of faith, you know, life of faith is a, a life where fear and death and fear and sin and pride, all these things are, are put to death. Psalm 131 is a, it's, isn't a set of psalms called the Psalms of Ascent. And these were the psalms that the people of God would sing as they came up to Jerusalem to celebrate the feasts where they would celebrate God and his faithfulness. Listen to the posture. Three verses, short song. 
But listen to the posture of faith of the one who prays this psalm. My heart is not proud, O Lord, nor are my eyes, it says, lifted up. It means my eyes aren't, as, as I'm sitting there talking to you, I'm not looking all around elsewhere, right? I'm not looking for that next strength, that next resource, that next thing I can pull onto my team. I don't insert myself into important matters or things that are beyond me. Instead, I have composed my and quieted my soul like an infant lying against his mother, so my soul is quiet within me. Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. It's faith. It's trust. It's just resting. He says, you know, there's a rest for the people of God. In Hebrews, it says there's a rest. It's not one day a week. It's not a Sabbath rest. It's not, it's not one year out of 50. It's, it's every day. It's a rest. of Just being able to trust that God, he's led you on this path. Now, do we, gotta, do we have to join him in this work of change? Yeah, because there's stuff that needs to be broken in us. We're fearful. We're proud. We're sinful, we're messed up, we're ignorant, we're crazy, right? We're all that. So there's stuff that has to change and we need to work with them, but we don't have to do it. We don't have to make it happen. When we struggle with it, we know, you know, we're in with the 50 plus percent of people that make it about three months and then we struggle with it. Does he know that? Yeah, he knows that. So get back up and do it again. God is not interested in the project. He's interested in the person that he created to be his child, who he has loved more than they can even imagine. So what can we practically do? What do we do to learn how to walk this life of faith? What do we learn from Abraham? Well, a couple of things. More than a couple, three things, right? One, we need to learn how to listen for God. We need to learn how to listen for God. I, I really do believe that God is always speaking. He's always speaking. Sometimes we can hear him as he speaks when we read his word. But you guys, if, if you think of this, think of Abraham. Abraham didn't have this. He didn't have the Bible. None of this was even written yet. He may have his stories that his you know, great, great, great grandparents you know, passed down and all that about who God was. But Abraham knew that what he was learning to listen for was God's living voice, a living God, a real person who wanted to have a relationship with him. We have a God who he sent us his word. It's, it's written down. It's like a letter. But you don't send a letter to somebody so that they'll know you through that letter. You send a letter to someone to remind you that you're there so that they'll keep pursuing you. I don't want somebody reading my letters. I want them to know me. And we have a living God. So listen for his voice. His voice. Learn to be trained here. How to recognize it. But man, listen for his voice. Second, learn how to trust him. Learn how to trust him. We do. We have a lot of fear and a lot of pride that we got to get through. So learn how to trust him. If you fall down, get back up again. Right? We're, not, we're not in the habit of learning how to trust God. We have a lot of sin and pride and 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 fear that we're, we're really used to 
having filters, those filters up that we send everything through. And God says, I need to get rid of those. So learn how to trust what he says. Learn how to walk with him in faith. The third is this, give it time. Give it time. It's gonna take some time. It's not gonna happen. God does not come with a magic wand and wave it over you and poof, falls in your You're just like Jesus. God says, daily we're being changed into his image, right? So if you fall down, get back up. Philippians 1, it says, he is faithful to complete the work that he's begun in us, right? He's faithful, so get back up. Walk with him again. There's no sin, there's no guilt, there's no shame that can stand between you and your God. He says, you know, it doesn't matter what you've done or how you've turned or or maybe how the mistakes that you made, it doesn't matter when you turn back, he's there. Because his desire is to bring you into the life that he intended. Last thing I want to leave you with is just an encouragement because sometimes we have made mistakes. How many of you guys, anybody made a mistake in your life? Right? Anybody taken a wrong turn? Anybody assembled the wrong team? Anybody recruited somebody and seen how your recruitment actually messed that person up worse than it helped them? Right? I think we've all done this stuff. Any of you ever turned from God, told him, now I'm so mad, I don't want to ever talk to you again? Anybody said that? And yet you turn back to him, you find he's still there. I promise to you from Romans 8:28, know this. <clears throat> He will work all things for the good, for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. When we turn back to him, he can undo the project stuff. He can grab hold of someone when we finally let go of them so that he can, so that he can take them down the path he wants to take them down. When we finally can let them go, he can, he can save them. He can save them better when we can, right? He can undo the wrongs that we have done. He can do that for those who love him and hear his call, called according to his purpose, right? Take that promise with you because we need that sometimes. Especially Abram had 75 years invested already. Do you think he had ever made a mistake in those 75 years? You think it, and yet God calls him at 75 and he says, don't worry about that. Just worry about walking with me. Listen for my voice. Trust me. Keep at it. Amen? Amen?